Good morning, heart and soul. I guess I was somehow kind of asleep at the switch thinking this must still be February because I was waiting for the video to start. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, we got a whole other thing going. But we still haven't quite completed what we're up to, what we were up to for um, Black History Month because we started a raffle. And um, so I want to go over a couple of things with you about that. First of all, I want to remind you that the last question, so we had one question each week, and what we were looking for was the correct answer. So all of the folks who gave the correct answer for each week, their name was put in a pot. And then the folks who, anyone who answered correctly every week, that was put in that pot, but also in a separate pot so that we could pull for, um, for both of those. And so I just want to remind you that the last question was, in addition to the slave narratives, what is the digital repository of African-American testimonies now in the Library of Congress, which tells, quote, America's missing stories, and who is its founder? Now, all of the questions were plucked from our, my talk, my message each Sunday. And so the answer that many of you know is the History Makers, founded by Juliana Richardson. And so that's the correct answer. And so we have winners. So for the first raffle, let's just see. Those are all of the folks who, let me just, oh, I don't have that here. Okay, here we go. This is our, we're, this is the equivalent of pulling. So it's stirring up the names of all of those who gave a correct answer, at least one correct answer. And the answer is Suzette Celeste Johnson. And so we have for Suzette a $25 gift certificate for Marcus Books. All right. Yeah. It's good being at heart and soul, if I say so myself. Okay. So the, and then for the uh, Danielle Jennings was the one person who had the correct answer for each four, each of her four submissions. So for you, Danielle, I have a $50 gift certificate from Marcus Books. So congratulations to Suzette and to uh, Danielle for their attentiveness, for getting in the game for real. There's something, there's always a payoff. It won't always be a gift certificate, but there's always a payoff for playing full out, for paying attention and rocking with the right, with the righteousness of it all. Yes? Yes. So, you know, in, uh, during Black History, I, Valda, would you bring me my little remote, please? Because I left it sitting right there and this is a distraction otherwise. Thank you very much. 
uh, I was reminding you that for many years we um, we always had the heart song or the ensemble or a soloist was, would sing Keep Your Eyes on the Prize during Black History Month. And that next line is Keep Your Eyes on the Prize, Hold On. And my favorite line in that is the only thing we did wrong we stayed in the wilderness a day too long. And I think it's significant that it says a day because it, it, it says to me at least the way that I receive that is that there's always time to shift that. It's not like you've been there so long that you just may as well forget it. You don't know anything. It's just a day too long. So you still have the wherewithal to make a shift, to make another choice, to do something different. And so our matron saint, Mother Harriet Tubman, represents so much of that for us. And we are celebrating today, and I'm going to say all this week, Harriet Tubman Day, which is this Friday. And Harriet Tubman Day was proclaimed a holiday by President George Bush, George W. Bush, in 1990, honoring the date of her passing, which was uh, March 10th of 1913. So we're just, that's kind of the foundation, if you will. We're building everything else today on the awareness of our gratitude and our thanksgiving and appreciation for Mother Harriet and the life that she lived, the way she lived it full out, the way she stood for self and others, all of that. And what I always rejoice in is that I know I only know a little bit about her life. Because it's not like today where there's going to be video on Snapchat and other places, you know, and TikTok and Facebook and YouTube and you could Google. And so we know that this is just a little bit of what we know about her. And so this is an opportunity this week to, I'm going to suggest to do a little research and just be willing to resonate with some aspect of her life and rejoice and see if that isn't modeling something for you, something for us, just a suggestion in a way, a way that we might celebrate, a way that we might draw this closer to our own experience. So, we are launching Women's History Month. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, it, interesting. It's, hmm, it is the way it has been that black history was required because it was not included in any real way at all. And women's history is required for the same reason. We have these dedicated, and they usually started as days and weeks. Um, and they were always grassroots efforts that ultimately folks galvanized around. And so Women's History Month for us is this opportunity for us to remind ourselves of the folks who sacrificed and contributed and shifted the narrative in such a way that we are living different lives now. That's true for black history, and it's true for women's history. 
So I'm grateful to Reverend Sonia for creating the video, putting the video together, and for Valerie Joy Fidmont for the music. And so here is our Women's History Month video. got the victory. And it continues. You know, the victory as we teach it, as we speak to it, as we accept it, is ongoing. It's moment to moment, our realization and gratitude and thanksgiving for the victory, the very breath of the now moment. 
and the infinite possibility that awaits us. All of that is the victory. I, uh, I wish I, there's a part of me that would want for these United States that the date that women's, there, uh, there was officially a U.S. Women's History Month, that it was so long ago. But the fact is that President Jimmy Carter in 1987 established Women's History Month. There's a part of that that just like blows my mind because I would want it to have been before my lifetime. <laughs> you know what I mean? That just, but the situation is exactly as I've shared with you. And so I'm grateful that we, that we have it. I'm grateful that that is true for us. And so here's something that I did not know until recently, is that every year the National Women's History Alliance sets a theme for um, the Women's History Month. And so for this year, 2023, the theme is celebrating women who tell stories. And I love that because that, that absolutely dovetails with our focus on our intuition, on using our imagination, because there's no way to be a woman who, who effectively tells our stories without thinking beyond, without seeing beyond, without hearing beyond, without acting beyond just what is already so. So this year, we are recognizing women past and present who have been active in all forms of media and storytelling, including print, radio, TV, stage, blo blogs, excuse me, podcasts. When I was reading this, I had to chuckle because there's so much that, you know, when I was in school doing the little book reports and presentations on women or black history or whatever, the, we, there was no blog and podcast and social media and all the things. And so I was just chuckling to myself with how it's changed, how there's so many ways now for us to be informed. And I say that because unfortunately, we are not keeping up with what's available to us. We are not nearly as informed about black folks for when we think about black history, even though so much information is available to us, likewise around women and women's history. And so I'm challenging you, heart and soul, to just do a little something more, let's say every month, just a little something, read something you wouldn't automatically read, watch something. PBS has just libraries of information around Africans in these United States and women and, oh, there's so many opportunities. And so the challenge, the invitation to the challenge is that at least once a month, read something that you hadn't read yet or that you wouldn't ordinarily read that will increase, will expand your awareness of what black folks and women and, and all folks are doing that are not in the mainstream, the stuff that is not being taught to our children and that that is that they're trying to stop being taught. So it's up to us to know so that we can just in passing even share and have our own lives transformed by that as well. So, given that that's the case, what I know is that this is an adventure in faith, for real, for real, or we wouldn't need a Black History Month, 
in a Women's History Month and all of the months that we have set aside focusing on, on folks that are contributors and ought to just be a part of whatever it is we're studying, whatever it is we're willing to know about our history, our shared history, because there's no way to talk about America without including black folks and women. I mean, let's be, don't be stupid. There's just, I mean, there's just, you don't have a United States without that contribution. So I want to begin then with Phyllis Wheatley Peters. So we know Phyllis Wheatley Peters is Phyllis Wheatley. Oh. Bring me those other papers, please, Valda. I grabbed the wrong group. But here we are. She married um, in 1774. But we know her. I'll take them all just for, yeah, this is what I wanted. Um, we know her as a poet. And I always had an affinity. My mom grew up in Houston, Texas. And she attended Phyllis Wheatley High School. And I knew that. And so whenever Phyllis Wheatley, you know, you, you, you get your little affinities where you can. And so, but there was so much I realized that I still didn't know. I just knew we were just kind of um, skimming the top, if you will. So what I have since learned about Phyllis Wheatley is I knew that she uh, was enslaved and she came here. She was aware um, so she arrived in the United States in 17... Oh, Andriette, come on now. She was born in 1753 and came here shortly after that. So what happened for Phyllis, and the, what I want to tell you about her, is that... In 1773 is when she published her book of poetry. It was written before, but what happened was in attempting to get it published, and her, her, she was enslaved by the Wheatleys. That's how she was known as, as Wheatley. She, um, when they realized how bright she was, she was considered a Negro genius as a youngster at that time. I mean, she was, she was, uh, so she was a youngster, and then as a, she's about 20 when, the, um, when we're talking about publishing her works. And what happened was no one would publish it because they didn't believe she had written it. There was no way that this enslaved African could have written this poetry. And um, so what they did was with her, with, you know, Wheatley family, set up that she had an examination, a panel. There were 18 judges. Can you imagine? As a little enslaved African, and she was a small built, she had been a sickly child, and so when they realized that she had some brightness to her and was picking things up, they said that she would not do work in the way that they thought she would, and instead she studied with their children. And she just picked it all up. As you can see from the slide, um, she spoke 
Uh, she learned English, Latin, Greek, and English literature. So she is rocking it. Um, so they've set up these 18 white men judges for little Phyllis, and she holds court. So when they finished with her, here's what they, they wrote, an attestation that said in part, we whose names are underwritten do assure the world that the poems specified in the following page were, as we verily believe, written by Phyllis, a young Negro girl who was but a few years since brought an uncultivated barbarian from Africa and has ever since been and is now under the disadvantage of serving as a slave and a fam... I'm sorry, serving as a slave in a family in this town. She has been examined by some of the best judges they said about themselves and is thought qualified to write this poetry. I need you to take that in. (laughs) And it's not about them and what the process was. What I want you to see is the fortitude I want you to see, I want you to sense, see, you know, we're developing our own intuition and our imagination. <clears throat> so I'm inviting you to sense in your, in your own awareness, in your own imagination, how that would be. How that would be. Where you are sitting before, I mean, even now, if I pick, if I said, if you had to go in front of the 18 people who are convinced you could not have done what you did, this is you defending your thesis. I mean, just in context. <laughs> this is, you done done the work, now you're defending it as a youngster who has only had limited exposure. I want you to see what she's made of. I want you to begin to get a sense of what is going on. Who can do that? How is that done? You got to know something. <clears throat> so sometimes the way history is written, because it's, it's written by the victor. So the victor says she was examined by some of the best judges. You, you see what I'm saying? They, they're like, this is how it's done. And this is, we the best judges, and, but it's not much about how magnificent she is. Even if you really believe barbarianism, etc., then it's even more fantastical, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't, they, they didn't write about that part, though. Because if you really believe that it's, she's come from that deep, that, that low, if you will, then it really deserves some props. But she's going to have to get her own. Come on, Mother Harriet, help us out with how important it is for us to have our own. Our own sense of self. Some of us are waiting for the evaluation on the, in the workplace. Some of us are waiting for the, 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 the relationship to, to acknowledge us. And we don't feel whole until they do. And in fact, that's the source of some of the arguments. You don't tell me that I'm. 
could I just peep into y'all's business for a moment and say it's not their job? It's nice to have. Don't get me wrong. It's lovely to have. If you have a partner who sees who you are and is willing to tell you that on the regular, you better thank God. But your job is to know that and do the mirror work. Come on, Phyllis Wheatley, in all of us. See, the reason I share this is because Phyllis Wheatley is Phyllis Wheatley, but there's some Phyllis in me. And I want to... I, I touch and agree with that. I want to awaken that. I want to fan the flame on that. Is this making sense? Whatever little bit of of Phyllis Wheatley, see, because I would claim to be related to Mother Harriet. Now, not by DNA, but by intention. By, By right of consciousness, exactly. Yes. And so likewise, whenever I am but with Phyllis Wheatley and whoever else I bring, I'm trying to get in there and see if I don't have some of that. And whatever little bit I have, I want to fan the flame on that. I want to water that. I want to fertilize it. I want to nurture it. I want to bring out more of that and less of the fear and doubt. Less of the neediness to, to but how did they see me? What did they say? And looking at the comments and the... Ugh. And instead, to know for myself, to do my mirror work in such a way that whatever the comments are, I take them in stride. Because they're nothing but somebody's opinion, even if they are some of the best judges. I mean, in the vernacular, she's a badass. And I mean that in the most spiritual way. Absolutely. And there's just no getting around that. And see, here's what I want for for America. Here's what I want for the way we teach this, is that you don't get to have it both ways. You don't get to have the barbarianism and then just pass on the genius. You know what I mean? If you believe that, then I need you to really uptick on the genius part. Because now it's smarter than anybody you've ever seen. But you... When you put it together, do you understand what I'm saying? Now, this is just, it don't matter whether you understand or not, because this is just, it's just me and my own discomfort with, with how we want to hold it. We want to hold it as if, you, you know, in, in inner city schools that you, the, the children this and the children that, and they don't have and whatever. And then we want to ignore that they're reading above their grade level. I mean, see, I need that to be the, the headline. I, I need them to interrupt the soap operas with the special announcement, breaking news. Children that we've poured nothing into. Children that we require to be there and we don't feed them so they can learn, they are still learning. At a higher level. Children for whom we have no future mapped out, no positive future mapped out. Children for whom all we can figure out to do is to build prisons. When we look at your children, they're saying, we're building some places for them. 
But you see, for the ones who don't end up there, I mean, don't even come close to ending up there. Where's the fanning the flame on that? See, it's, I feel like we forked our tongue, our collective tongue. Yeah, I know I'm off topic. But it's, it's, it's on my heart. It's on my heart that, that we are America's conscience. And if we don't speak up, it keeps acting like it don't know. Okay, so even after the attestation, um, it still was hard, if not impossible, to get her published here. And so her master's son, they went to uh, England, and that's where her book was first published. Um, yeah, a volume of her poems with the aid of the Countess of Huntington and the Earl of Dartmouth is how that happened. Oh, Lord. Us. That's us. That's our history. Here's what I love. Phyllis Wheatley. In all of, because we are, an aspect of who we are is our experiences. You know? And, and nowadays, we're encouraged. There was a time in my parents' generation when they were like, you don't talk about that. You don't tell nobody that stuff. Whatever's going on with you, what you feel, and don't, you're not out telling people that. Now, we, that's all we, <laughs> pretty much, you know what I'm saying. So, but Phyllis Wheatley wrote this. Now, remember, so off a boat, a slave ship, enslaved, learning, because she can, and a way was provided for her. I want to acknowledge that. I want to acknowledge that she could, and it was perceived that she could, and a way was made. So I want to acknowledge that. Here's something she wrote, an excerpt. In every human breast, God has implanted a principle, which we call love of freedom. It is impatient of oppression and pants for deliverance. What? What? Why are we digging on the internet and in the back files to read this? Why isn't this painted on the side of almost every school? <laughs> um, um, Rhetorical questions. I know the answer. You see, what the world needs is love. Otherwise, this continues to happen. Yeah. You see, for one who, I don't know, we don't know much about her life. We don't know what her day-to-day -day was. We don't know how she felt treated. We don't know. But the fact that I know that she somehow defended her thesis in front of these 18 white men who came in with an idea that you didn't even do this and we getting ready to prove that you didn't. And she succeeded. She prevailed. I want to touch Phyllis. Just the hem of her garment. 
just the hem of her garment. Because you know what that means. This is not touching the fabric. It's the energetic awareness. I want to get up in that energy. I want to know about, I want to know that about me. That what is true about me, that I can stand in it. No matter what, that it doesn't matter what the, what the best judge is anywhere. The best, the, the, I would just want to get it right for them. The, 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 she's been examined by some of the best judges. So even when the best judges show up in my life, I want to prevail with knowing the truth about me and standing in the truth about me. And so I say to you, what the world needs now is love. What the world needs now is love. You know, I used to not really, I like the song. I didn't appreciate the message for years. I just thought, I had two thoughts about it. One, how are we telling God what we need? There was that. But also, it was just this sense of that out of, see, I had a long list of what we needed. And so I was like, when are you going to get to the other parts? But now, I guess it just takes a certain critical mass number of birthdays before you get out your own way. And I feel like it says a plenty now that if this world was operating more from love, I'm stopping myself from saying unconditional love, like the kinds of love. You know, like there's a conditional love and there's an unconditional love. When in truth, if it's conditional, it's not love, it's contractual. You're doing something else. You're just calling it love. That that is so true. It feels almost too simplistic for us to accept. And yet, when I think about my ancestors in general, not just mine by, by blood, but those, that I, those ancestors that I claim out of my awareness of, of who and how and my empathy for all that they've been through, even not knowing the whole story, that little bit that I know about some of the folks that we have an awareness of who were lynched. And, and there's a very broad definition of lynch. When I say lynch, I don't mean that they were literally strung up. But the lynching that has been a part of this American fabric, that if we were, if we were in a culture of love, because there's no way to be in a culture of love and it not be accepting. I mean, you, you see, I'm coming to it little slow, but coming to what a difference love makes. My sense is that from love, our imaginings are different. From, our, from trauma, our imaginings are different than they are from love. I know that. I can give personal testimony to that. I love that in this... Um, no, I love that Alicia Garza, you know, co-founder of Black Lives Matter, says just in part 
just an excerpt from the quote, because of the way that the rules have been rigged against our communities, we've been forced to imagine new futures with possibilities for freedom. You see that imagining possibilities for freedom has to come from a love place. If it's coming from a trauma, pain, fear, doubt-focused place, those possibilities are not for freedom. They might be for vengeance. You know, they might be for just the bare minimum of a shift. But what we're talking about is how do we engage our individual, our unique imaginations. First of all, we got to build them. We got to build them so they're reliable, so that you can imagine on, what do you call it? Um, Y'all not my lifeline this morning. On call, I want to say it's on, how do you, there's a, there's a term for where it's just an immediate on demand. That's what I want to say. We want to imagine on demand and not just, be, not just be carried away by our fears and our doubts and our tra- trauma and our history. Is this making sense? That we want to train our imagination so that when triggered, we come up with... Now, see, when triggered, you, you're triggered. If you don't have nothing set, you're going to go the way of that you've been going. That's just how that works. But if you, when you're not triggered, when you're kicked back feeling good, when you're all right with who you are and how you are, that's the time to set it in place. That's the time to imagine that if they put me in front of 18 white women, white men or women, or just folks who don't believe me, well, frankly, they could be of any ethnicity whatsoever. The idea is that they don't believe you are who you are. There's not a one of us who hadn't been there. There's not a one of us who hadn't been in a situation where you stand for you and somebody is standing saying, That ain't you. And what you do with that says everything about the truth of you. Oh, that's the whole thing. So look. Look, so in Women's History Month, you know, it's for, we're, we're, we are called to lift up ancestors and those who are currently doing the work. And so I bring you someone who I grew up with an awareness of, so this is so like close to the fold for me, Belva Davis. And, and so in reading some of her, her bio and all, all the names, because um, she was raised in Oakland but went to Berkeley High, and I'm a Berkeley native, and so all of the names. And so I remember watching Belva Davis on the new news. And if I was trying to pretend like I wasn't how old I am, I'd be like trying to reword that some kind of way, but I don't even care because I'm grateful that as I read it, I was like, yes, I can check off. I can validate every bit of that. Every bit of that, it just reminded me of yes, yes, yes. So 
there in her at her retirement at her her last day I think at KPIX I think is where she was or maybe she was at Cron at that wherever she was this is what David Dave McElhatton said about her and so some of us remember those names and if you don't it don't matter but these are colleagues he said about her you've carved a lot of way for female broadcasters in this business and we're all very proud of you and that's true because she was out there by herself and see for a little black girl in Berkeley it meant the world because you know we only had what three four channels and to find that on one of those three four channels was a woman who looked like she could be in my family you know what I'm saying and and if you're I don't know if you I don't know if other folks go through that I don't know if if gay and it, lesbian and, and bi and trans folks, if they look up on television and they see somebody who is, if that doesn't just, okay, if they don't lean in to hear a little bit more about that. But that's how I was as a little black girl. Well, maybe I didn't care nothing about the news, but when Belva was on, because not only did I want to hear what she was saying, how she was saying it, I needed to see what she was wearing. How you representing? I don't know if everybody understands that, but it's not possible to be my age and be raised in these United States to know you're not looking at other black folks for how you representing. Because it was so much a part of what was said to us, of how important it was that you couldn't even be you. Nobody was sending you out to be you. They were sending you out to be all black folks. Because if you didn't do it right, it meant that maybe nobody else was going to get a chance. Do you see how we're living? What the world needs is love so that it's open for everybody to have a chance. Even if I mess it up, the next one who comes looking just like me, it'd be like, well, that wasn't you. But that's not how we've been playing the game. They promote one. If that one fails, they're done. They <laughs> we had one already. They messed that up. So look, she has just a rich, rich history with countless awards. So I just need to share some of that with you because even in her book, Never in My Wildest Dreams. So I, I want to tell you that you, this notion of never in my wildest dreams means she had some wild dreams some visions for herself. This is why we're training ourselves here at Heart and Soul to vision, to visualize, to imagine, to have a sense of what's possible for ourselves, even if nobody else believes it. Come on, Phyllis, help us with this. Even if nobody believes you can do that. Some of us have been there. I stuttered as a child. So if I had said to somebody, you know, I'm going to have a career speaking in front of people on mic, they just would have been, we don't want you speaking right here now. <laughs> and they didn't. One of the things I remember being in, oh, probably second, second grade. Yeah, it was second grade because in third grade we were in the bungalow. So in second grade, when it was time to share, because I've always had something to say. I've always, you know, I've always had a spirit of, I could share. Oh, I know. Yes. And so my hand would go up. The teacher would call on me and the class would groan <laughs> out loud. It wasn't like an inner groan, an audible groan. And I was, whatever. And I sometimes think about that because sometimes now I'm too influenced 
And I think about where is she? Where's the little second grader who was like, I don't care whether y'all want to hear me talk. And I got right on up there and stuttered. Because that's what I could do. But there was something within me that had to, that wanted to, that needed to, and was doing it. And they were, so, you know, sometimes I think they don't know, but it don't matter what y'all do. Because I hadn't been with my peers who were going, you know, like just make it go away. <laughs> and, and most adults don't take it that far <laughs> like they will. But I, I hearken to that with some frequency because I think she knew something. She knew something because I could have just cowered. I'm sure, I mean, I couldn't have, but I'm sure that there was some child who did. And even though they had a major voice and a creative share, we never heard it because they couldn't get past the peer pressure. There's a lot for us because Belva represented so much for me. See, I, don't, I can't do a dot-to-dot -dot correlation, but I'm willing to paint, a broad, paint with a broad brush. I'm sure, see, we don't always know what influences us. So what I know is that she was an influence. She was right there daily. I got some doses of Belva Davis representing in a way that I was proud and wanted to be like that. In more global ways, I didn't know her, per well, not personally, personally. In the neighborhood, growing up in Berkeley, and she was there, and so was, there was that influence. But not she wasn't my auntie. You understand aunties. Well, I know everybody doesn't, but some of y'all understand what I mean when I say auntie. So I want to share something, some things about, about her life, that um, her struggle, if you will, to break into broadcast journalism. This was at a time when stories of particular importance to black folks, African Americans and women, rarely made mainstream newscast. This is why we were... Subscribing to the Sun Reporter and Jet Magazine. You understand what I'm saying? Because, because our stories were not in mainstream media. And so we were, we were getting them on the side. Something that had our pictures and our stories. She said that there were news directors who claimed that blacks couldn't pronounce long words because... Now, that just wasn't like a general thought. It was because their lips were too thick to enunciate properly. I, I just, see, when we, when we lift up, in lifting up Belva, it would, be, it would be unfair for me to not let you know how far she had to come. Because she looked so good, it would look like wasn't nothing happening. She just got up and came on in. She said there was a San Francisco station manager who dismissed her from a job interview by explaining that he just wasn't hiring any negresses. But because she was a young, single mother raising two children, she just refused to be deterred. Come on, Phyllis. Come on, come on Mother Harriet, Phyllis, Belva. Can 
And Andrea's getting right in there in the lineup. You see what I'm saying? To benefit from the history. What is history if it's not going to enlighten us in a way that we can draw from it? And let's be clear, you, I'm speaking passionately as a black woman because I'm talking about black women. But you better try to get in there, man. Get on in there, white men. Get on in there, black men. Get on in there, all y'all. Get on in there, women of every ethnic, every ethnicity. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm speaking very specifically, but use your imagination to see you. To see you moving beyond the status quo, moving beyond the limitation. To see you arguing for your highest and best. In a career spanning half a century, She's reported on many of the most explosive stories in the era. You know, I almost kind of slashed through this, and I thought, well, I don't have time to tell them all that. But, see, you need to know, because the kind of story you report on says who you are to them. You, you see what I'm saying? If they're just giving you the garden openings and the car washes and the murders, it's something else. So I need you to know that she reported on the, on the Berkeley student protest, the birth of the Black Panthers, the People's Temple cult that ended in the mass suicides in Jamestown, the assassination of San Francisco Mayor George Moscone and Supervisor Harvey Milk, the onset of the AIDS epidemic, and from Africa, the terrorist attacks that, put, that first put Osama bin Laden on the FBI's most wanted list. During her career, she soldiered in the trenches in the battle for racial equality and brought stories of black Americans out of the shadows and into the light of day. And along the way, she encountered a cavalcade of cultural icons, Malcolm X, Frank Sinatra, James Brown, Nancy Reagan, Huey Newton, uh, uh, Muhammad Ali, Alex Haley, Fidel Castro, Dianne Feinstein, Condoleezza Rice, and more. For her, she says, it was an amazing odyssey. She was born to a 15-year-old mother. See, for somebody who thinks that's enough to count them out, I need you to know it's not unless you decide that it is. You know, sometimes when I bring a message, I'm thinking, will they see the principle in it? Will I have to give you an Ernest Holmes quote in order for y'all to link it? I don't have time right now to do that. I need you to be able to sense the principle, the spiritual principle, the divine ideal in whatever it is we're up to. I won't always be giving you a quote and tying up all the pieces. I'm going to pour it out to you as I have this morning. And I'm going to leave you to do the dot-to-dot -dot correlation work. I'm going to leave it to you to say, and maybe I'm leaving you with the question, what was the spiritual principle in Phyllis and Belva? Huh? What is it? So that's my question. I'm challenging you to, to use your, I don't, hmm. Part of what we're doing that I'm committed to is you don't just come in here and sit down and just, we do all the work. You're going to have, if, now, you're welcome. 
to just sit in a cut and just have it poured out for you. You are welcome to do that. But if you really want to get the work done, if you are really a part of this community in a way that you are in for real, you're going to have to do some work. You're going to have to do the dot to dot. Like, what was that? Where in what we're studying? How does Mother Harriet, why is she up there? I need you to do that. So that you, oh, I see what she's representing. There's a divine principle. Phyllis Wheatley, what is, what, okay, what is that? Belva Davis? See, for me, my head is just exploding with them. And my heart is just overflowing in gratitude. Belva said to us, listen to your dreams. They are whispers of your heart telling you all you'll ever need to be happy. And here we get kind of a double dose if you're looking at the slide right now because this picture is from the history makers. And, you know, we talked about them. So what I love is that you can find out more about Belva Davis on history makers. You see how this thing works? So just shout out to history makers for including our local treasure. Yeah. It's about us seeing and imagining and hearing beyond Gloria Steinem said, Belva Davis has lived this country's history as only a brave black woman could and has witnessed it as a journalist with a world-class head and heart. I don't think it's possible for anyone to read her words in her book, Never in My Wildest Dreams, without, coming a better, without becoming a better and braver person. Yes. Belva said herself, don't be afraid of the space between your dreams and reality. Oh, that's a trench that's filled with fearful people, doubting people, filled. They just fall into the trench believing that I dreamed it and it's not yet my reality. But she said, don't fall for the okie doke don't worry about that space between dream and reality. If you can dream it, you can make it so. I'm helping you to connect the dots here. Look, if I had a hammer, I'd hammer out truth. I'd hammer out love. I'd hammer out whatever is required for us to change and to love ourselves so completely that we simply love. And that is our connection with everybody. I tell you, this is not a mountaintop teaching, so it's not like watch me and see how it's done. Watch me try, though. But you don't really have time to be watching me. You really don't. I mean, that might be traumatizing, frankly. If I think of it, I just saw it. I was like, oh, don't do that. The idea is for each of us to do our work and to hammer out our own sense of the truth of our being. Our 40-day Lenten challenge, I'm going to fold that in with, the, um, with our food drive. Our 40-day uh, Lenten 
challenge, thank you, <laughs> is here's the deal. It's about us practicing letting go. It's part of, it. it's to fully orb spiritual principle in your life. If you're not letting go, you're also not prepared to receive. If you're not giving, you're not prepared to receive. So these are beneficial activities that support us in honing our lives in a new way. This is that if I had a hammer, I'd knock off the parts that aren't working for me in my life so that I could create the space for what can work. So the 40-day fill your bag with 40 items over the 40 days, I know some of you are taking to that like fish and water, and then others are still might be challenged along the way. So again, I encourage you to reach out to practitioners for prayer, be a part of all of the prayer opportunities that we have. What I need you to know is that for our 13-month goal for the 13,000, that's a thousand month of $1,000 a month. For December and January, we did it. When you include February, by now we should have $3,000 raised, and we're not there. We're $744 short. I simply want to remind you that if everybody gave a little bit to this, we would be practicing, and the idea is to not wait until we're behind and folks who go, ooh, but to, I could help with that, but to make it a regular thing. So it might be a $5 regular recurring gift that you set up. It might be $10. It might be 20 It can be whatever it is you feel like you can do, but you want to do something consistently so that you're building that muscle of giving, so that you're building that muscle of giving it away and opening yourself to receive for real, for real. Yes, I hope that makes sense. Okay. All right. So for our closing, I'm going to actually read from Guidance for a Spiritual Journey, which is our, our daily read. And where I want to start is to ask you to recite with me or after me as I read this. I kind of wish I'd printed it out now. It looked bigger earlier this morning. <laughs> Maybe the lighting was a little bit or something. I had to hold it up or out or something. Okay, here we go. So I'm going to intuit it probably. And and I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Let me just, let me just acknowledge that there is one life and that that life is magnificent. It's whole, it's perfect, it's complete, it's the living one, it's the strong one. And I am a part of this. I am an aspect. I am whole, perfect, and complete because I am one with the all and all. We all are. And for this, I'm grateful. I know and I know that I know, and I'm going to ask that you repeat after me. I acknowledge to myself, on myself, by myself. To myself, on myself by myself, for myself, that through the right use, for myself, that through the right use 
of these daily affirmations and the laws herein contained, I will learn first how to win, second how to hold, third how to share without losing. In mental science and reality principles, these are the three keys to harmony. I continually strive to be in alignment with such laws. Through such benign consequences, I am continually in a triumphant mode and move from glory to glory. God radiates in me. And just breathe that in. And then be accepting of these words as I continue to affirm, I have discovered that I am a more wonderful being than I have ever imagined. And I have a presence within me, which when released, gives me divine power and assurance. The whole world recognizes my new quality, tone, and composure particularly because of this day and time, yea, this moment, all things rise up to meet me. Everything in my life manifestly improves and takes on new and a new and finer quality. It draws in my consciousness that I attract now the seal of God, my superior side. Coming to spiritual maturity, I observe the quality of my disposition. Disposition refers to the manner in which I automatically react to situations and people. If I automatically react irritably, crabby, selfishly, haughty, and impatiently, it destroys and or impairs my relationships. So I walk with insights, one of which declares I shall practice daily being my best Higher self, assuredly, I am unique in all the world. There is none other exactly like me. And for this I give thanks. I give thanks for this comprehensive word. I give thanks for Dr. Dan, for his heart, for his consciousness, for his words. I give thanks for the way that they come together. They were already written on all hearts, on all minds, everywhere, in different words and phrasing. And yet now, they come together in such a way that is transformative. So it is in this opportunity for divine transformation that I just rest. That I rest in divine gratitude and thanksgiving for perfect appreciation for all that has been given, for all that is showing up right now in this moment. That I know that it is the seed and the fertilizer, that it is the seedling that ultimately grows into my heart's desire manifest. Oh, I just give thanks. It is an absolute 
perfect gratitude that I just let go and I let God that I am releasing this word into the perfect activity of law that I am accepting it as so now and forevermore and sealing it by saying Ashe Amen and so it is yes love matters